You are now tuned into Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America. Hosted by Tramail Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People. Get ready. 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 Progressive action is now live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Progressive Action Radio Show. I'm your host, Tramel Thompson. I got my co-host Jamel with me. What's going on, cuz? I'm chilling. Everything's good. What's going on with you, cuz? You know, everything is good, man. You know, we've been having a Good past two weeks. Oh, yeah. The, the energy has been high in the group. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, things just been feeling good, man. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling good. I got my shirt on. I got my tie on tonight. So I'm really feeling good about our show tonight and what we have going you on. You finally you know? dressed for the occasion. Oh, I sure did. It took a woman to come to the show for you to get dressed up, right? Hey, so it is what it is. <laughs> That's life, you know? <laughs> let's give let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, but seriously, we need we need the people who listen to Progressive Action Radio to tell your friends about the show. Tell tell coworkers this isn't only an MTA show. This is a movement for the culture. It just happened that we just interviewing a whole bunch of MTA people, and me and Jamel actually work for MTA. So we need y'all to get more people involved, and we don't want to take too much time because we got a special guest, very very special guest tonight. And we gonna let her introduce herself. Let the people know who you are. Hi, my name is Anita Clinton. I work for the New York City Transit Authority for 29 years. I am now retired, but always, always, always a proud TWU Local 100 member. Yes, yes, yes. Y'all hear that, y'all? Now, when I w- when people told me about you, they said she's feisty, she's tough. They ain't tell me she was beautiful though. <laughs> uh, thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah, so um, what brings you on the uh, Progressive Action Radio Show today? Well, I've been listening to the radio station, and the whole time that I was in transit, I was actively involved. And now that I'm retired, it really breaks my heart to see where the union is at at this point. And so it gives me a lot of hope that this program could try to um, open people's minds and hearts and learn what really good union is all about. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So um, we know that you're very critical of the current administration. What's the main problem do you have with them? Um, What I'd like to do is to go back to when I first came into transit and compare. So I came in in 83 as a cleaner and the union, for all um, intents and purposes, really was dead in the water. They were making deals with management. They weren't advocating for the workers. They weren't giving out information. They weren't teaching us anything. And the members were pretty much zombies walking around feeling powerless. And I became part of a group called New Directions that fought to change the union. And after 15 years of fighting, we realized we couldn't change them. We had to actually take over, which we did. We were successful. And we became TW Local 100, no longer New Directions. 
And what I'm seeing now under the Samuelson administration is exactly the same thing it was in 83, where the members are just kind of zombied out. There's very little information. There's no advocacy. There's no um, social justice causes. There's nothing happening. And the contract absolutely sucks. They called it a victory, which it wasn't. And so I'm playing my little part now. And what, what part is that? Well, just trying to inform and educate people, let them know that the union is everything. New people come onto the job and they believe that they get their 40 hours and their paid sick days and their vacation from management, which is far from the truth. Um, the union was started by um, Michael Quill, who's on my t-shirt. You guys want to talk about how you're dressed? <laughs> I purposely picked this out. Because not only do we have Michael Quill, I believe this is Matthew Guinan and um, Martin Luther King. And Michael Quill, of course, was the founder, or one of the founders of TW Local 100. And Matthew Guinan was, um, came in as a trolley worker, became a, a organizer. And for those of you who don't know, he worked for six years without pay as an organizer before he got paid. Wow. And then he became um, the second president of the International. So um, I have activism in my blood going back from my parents who were very involved in the civil rights movement. So when I came to transit and I saw what was happening, actually the guy who got me involved with New Directions is to my left, John Cimino. John, what's up, brother? I think you need to come sit down. Yeah, and, sit down at the mic. One of these mics, man. This is the second time you're here and you're trying to be silent. <laughs> yeah, so um, John Cimino got me involved. And, you know, it was a very small group at the time. And we grew because people were so unhappy with the way that the union was being run. And uh, actual, in all actuality, it wasn't being run at all. It was just uh, a, a way for people to make, make money. So if I can educate people and let them know how it was and how it should be and how it is, I think that's a good thing. Well, we all, we all is. Oh, and definitely. We, that's, that's why you're here. We want you to educate because, you know, y'all came from a special um, era to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's different. Like, I was, uh, I don't know if you've seen the picture of the Women's Committee. I guess they, they um, you know, trying to get back or trying to do whatever. I'm new to it. But what was the Women's Committee like back when you were here versus what you see now? Well, when I first came on to the job, um, there was no real Women's Committee. They had someone up at the Union Hall, and it was almost like a club-like atmosphere. They did have some child care provisions and some camp provisions, but you had to be in the loop to know how to get that information. It wasn't accessible to everybody. So um, when we took over, we tried several times to create a really proactive uh, women's committee. We weren't successful. We had something called uh, Circle of Sisters that didn't really work out. We had the Executive Board Women's Committee that didn't work out. and. I was working up at the Union Hall from 2000 to I think about 2006. And when you have the kind of job that you're supposed to do for the union, 
if you're really doing it, you get burnt out. And I got burnt out. So 2006, I went back to my tools. And um, they kept asking me to come back, but I was like, no, I need to take care of my health. So um, when they finally offered me to run the women's committee, I didn't miss a beat and I went back um, to run the women's committee. And I believe that I had a very successful um, women's committee at the time. We had women that were participating in the meetings and you have to understand how meaningful that was to me because most of the women that were coming to the women's committee meeting, they were already going to section meetings they were going to division meetings. They were already actively involved. And we know on the real side that it's still the women after they do their job that go home and clean the house and cook and take care of the kids on the whole. I know a lot of guys help, but on the whole, it's still our job. And so for them to do all of that and to still come to another meeting, a women's committee meeting, was very meaningful. We had something called the Northeast Regional Women's Summer School where women from the local could go to a summer school paid by the union on the union's um, time, so you didn't have to use vacation time. You didn't have to use any of your money. And all it did was give you the tools to rise to whatever occasion it was, whether you wanted to run for office, you wanted to be actively involved, or you just wanted to get knowledge. And we started sending our women there, and some of the women started running, and I believe because of that, we had one of the elections with the, the most women that were running for office, and I think that was a big accomplishment. I had uh, long-term goals. I had short-term goals. Unfortunately, in 2010, when Samuelson won, he asked me to step down. Well, he didn't really ask me. He told me. And why, why, why do you think he uh, told you to step down? Well, he knew um, I was not ever going to be loyal to him. Mm -hmm. And regardless, I would have done my job. But I think he just looked at me as the enemy. And so he put me back into car equipment, which, which I had been organizing car equipment. And then I went to work for the International. And, and then I went back to the Union. Then he told me, go back to my tools. So <laughs> Mean guy. The Samuelson guy. Man. Well, you know, it's 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 political, mm -hmm. you know, and it's to be expected. But I don't believe you cut off your nose to spite your face. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, what I would like to ask about, and I know a lot of the members would like to know, is about the uh, the STEP program and the apprenticeship program and the reasons why the those programs were cut, because those were effective programs that lifted cleaners, property protection, and station agents and um, traffic checkers out of those titles into the maintainer titles and into titles, you know, where they can make, you know, more money. So if you could please enlighten the people on why those programs were cut. Well, I think you would have to have Samuelson here to answer that question because he's the one that did it. I could give you a little background. Um, John and I were both part of something called the Car Maintainer Trainee Program meaning that we were cleaners in car equipment, and they had a program that was just for the car equipment department where cleaners could uh, go to school for 18 months and then um, be promoted into a, a title with skills. And um, it was a very, very successful program. 
However, it was limited to um, car equipment. And I'm very grateful for it. Uh, helped give me a skill, helped me launch me into a lot of different things. But anyway, um, the reason they had the apprentice program was because when I came in, cleaners and other so-called unskilled titles could promote up within the system, meaning that you don't lose your seniority. However, those doors closed one after another, and then if you wanted to move up, that meant you had to take an open competitive test, meaning you lose all your seniority. You're starting all over. So um, President Toussaint saw a need that uh, had to be fulfilled, which was one, to get the um, unskilled on track again to promote into higher titles, but he was also an advocate for women because the vast majority of the unskilled titles go to either minorities or minority women, and um, he wanted to balance the, the whole equation where women would be in more traditional, non-traditional jobs. So he created the uh, apprentice program, which he got the transit authority to pay for, and um, he saw there was another deficit because too many of the women were not able to get into the apprentice program simply because we either didn't have the mechanical or the electrical knowledge which you needed to get into the apprentice program. So to fill that void, he created the APEX program. And um, it was very successful. And I remember one time being with John at a graduation for APEX. And it was a really strange feeling because the people um, who had graduated were enormously happy, but at the same time, they were sad because despite having gone through the program and despite having their certificate, they were being turned away from the apprentice program. I personally believe that Samuelson cares nothing about women and nothing about minorities and that apprentice program really was geared for them. And so if he could get rid of it, oh well. Wow, you know, um, I kind of, you know, when I, when I see that he don't support, you know, African-American events and, you know, things like that, it does make me wonder. And um, how do you feel about MTA and, and how they move as far as with minorities and, and women and, you know, uh, you know, black people, basically? Well, um, in the beginning, you know, before they had the civil service testing, it was who you know. So we've always had waves of immigrants coming into transit, starting with the, the Irish and then the um, Italians. And then we had other waves. We had black Americans, West Indians, and then a big wave of, of Russians. And so the civil service test leveled the field. So it wasn't who you know, it was how you passed the test which was a good thing. And the MTA really didn't have any way to um, discriminate. If you're a woman, if you're black, if you're Asian, if you're Russian and you take the test and you pass the test, you get hired. All right, um, before we go any further, Mr. Semino. Yes, sir. Speaking to the mic, speaking to the mic, brother. Let the people know who you are what do you do? 
that type of stuff. Introduce introduce yourself, brother. I'm John Cimino. I work at New York City subway trains for a living for quite some time. I'm in my 34th year in transit. As Anita said, we both started out as cleaners. Uh, seven years as a cleaner. And uh, we struggled to have to reopen the car maintenance uh, trainee program in the 80s, which was on and off, uh, not as bad as these days, but it was on and off maybe four years, I think, a year. Um, and came up through there. Uh, and essentially, on point with what they're saying now, it was, it was a struggle in the 80s, and it's even, even more a problem now, is, is bringing unskilled workers into skilled positions, um, which is really a long legacy of what the, the fundamental part of what the union is supposed to do. Um, that's what all trade unions do. No one's born a, uh, no one's born a carpenter. No one's born a mason. They all have their apprenticeship programs as soon as you join as a teenager. They have uh, unfortunately, they come in through their parents, through their uncles, who are all white, and they all wind up within 10 years being master carpenters and master whatever trade electricians and everything. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't always happen in transit. Uh, it had to be fought for. Um, it didn't even exist in the early history of the union, but it had to be fought for. It started in the late 70s. And uh, I guess it on and off, and now it's at one of its worst uh, periods where there are, I don't see any unskilled going up to skilled positions. The, and I would say half our membership, when you look at it technically, are put in an unskilled position. Yes. Okay? And that's no uh, disparaging remark, that's just how people come into transit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm gonna touch back on the um, on the um, the the women's committee thing. Mm -hmm. You recognize any of the, the women that was in the picture? Have you seen the picture? I'm sorry, I'm not sure. I know what picture you're referring to. Oh, it was a picture. I you know I, I think it was a, a great thing that the they trying to start something, but um, the only thing I disagree with is that you know when women are appointed to those positions. Just because you're appointed, I don't think that that makes you a leader. I think the women committee need leaders. And like Jamel said, I think that was last week, just don't be complaining about bathrooms. Bathrooms and locker rooms, yeah. <laughs> bathrooms and locker rooms. I think you know women have way more deeper issues than bathrooms and locker rooms. And that really needs to get on the ball. And we shouldn't wait for, you know, I don't even think that it should wait to appointment. I think that women just need to get together within themselves and make something happen because people will listen. I agree. Unfortunately, um, I have no idea what's happening with the Women's Committee at this point. I, when I was told that I was no longer the chair of the Women's Committee, and it was Onisha Portlet at the time, I handed over all my p paperwork and documentation because that was my baby and it was not political to me. I wanted the Women's Committee to succeed. And uh, whatever happened, happened, it didn't work. Then Bonita took over the Women's Committee 
and I continued to come to the meetings, and I was offering my help, which was not taken. And um, it was just disappointing to me because we had very, very low numbers of women that were attending, and I didn't see any forward movement. It was almost like a, a pity party where women came to complain and I didn't hear any talk of uh, resolutions or moving forward or trying to fix a problem. And as a matter of fact, a couple of times I believe they had some of these uh, people that were accused of sexual harassment sitting in on women's committee meeting, which I thought was wow. absolutely disgusting. Wow. Okay, so you know what I'd like the people to know is um, if you could please give the audience a detailed history of New Directions <laughs> and how y'all rose to power in the union and all the key players, and I mean all of them. Wow. Well, um, I'm going to need a lot of help from John. John got me involved, and one of the founding members was a guy named John McCarthy, and I believe it basically started in RTO. Yes. Yeah, okay, so we had Steve Downs, Naomi Allen, Noel Acevedo, uh, Norman Resnick, um, Tim Skimmerhorn. Yeah, John McCarthy, um, I mean, you, yourself, you were very good for the first couple of months, um, but mostly in RTO. Yeah, so it started in RTO, and then because of Naomi and John, it got big in car equipment, and... We would have informal meetings in the very beginning. It was started in the 80s. In John McCarthy's backyard. John McCarthy's backyard. <laughs> On 52nd Street yes. in Sunset Park. Yes, <laughs> I remember going to his house. And we would have these informal meetings because there was a sense of frustration with the union. So these were people who had come to the job, like myself and John, just to do a job, but knowing that there was a union on the property and that it wasn't doing anything and feeling like maybe we could help the union become more accountable, more transparent, and more responsible. And um, that was the goal in the beginning. It was never to take over the union. And um, we had meetings and they were very informal. They became more formal. We had lots of debate and discussion about all kinds of subjects and um, we started meeting in different locations, and we started growing. There was a movement. And the opposition, which was uh, the union that was in power, took to calling us all kinds of names, communists, socialists, um, all the women were butchers and dykes, and all the men were crazy. And um, we would go out, we would uh, campaign, um, because we realized at some point that we needed to get our foot in the door, so we started running for different offices. And um, people, when they saw us coming onto the property, were surprised that we looked like other human beings, which was kind of ridiculous, but that's how it was. And um, it was a 15-year struggle, and in the end, um, we won with Roger Toussaint heading the slate after Tim Skimmerhorn ran how many times? Uh, at least three. Yeah, three times, and, and he lost. He was, Tim Skimmerhorn was head of slate. Steve Downs was the puppet master for Tim. 
and um, Roger Toussaint was a latecomer to New Direction, so there was some resentment from the people who were the founders there. And uh, then you had the black issue, you know, he's a black guy. And then the people in RTO considered uh, Toussaint a grunt because he was a track worker. <laughs> How could a track worker <laughs> lead the union, you know? <laughs> you know, so, um, and particularly between Steve and Roger. And I was shocked when I saw on Facebook that Steve accepted the invitation to come on board and only if Roger was here because um, I personally believe it's gonna be a repeat of the many, many debates that those two had while in New Directions and Steve got his ass kicked every single time, so. <laughs> oh, Steve, Steve is ready. <laughs> <laughs> Steve. Maybe he's a glutton for punishment. <laughs> he's and ready. Steve, Steve is ready. Um, how do you feel about uh, the implement of the two-tier system? Wow, you know, for us, John, Donovan, myself, it's such an insult because that's the exact reason why we went out on strike in 2005. Um, when we came up to the Union Hall, we, not all of us knew what good union, unionism was. We didn't know how to run a union. We didn't know how to be good officers, but we had a lot of learning. We had a lot of knowledge. We had a lot of classes, formal classes, informal classes. We had some of the brightest minds in labor that came to help us out, Nick Unger, Eddie Kay. You know, these are organizers with a long history of how to organize. Richie Perez. Richie Perez. And so we, you know, had a, a learning curve. And we, I think that we caught up pr pretty quickly um, uh, to, to really understand that a union is only as strong as its weakest link. And people out there might say, oh, that's just a saying. But it, it's not really, because it's the truth. And we learned that you have to protect your most vulnerable members, meaning women and minority and unskilled. And that was one of the main goals of the administration while I was up at the Union Hall. That has since been lost. I, I believe their only goal is to fatten up their pockets and slide through as much and as good as they can, excuse me, as, as they can. Which is really sad, you know, because um, we worked really hard to get a really active, involved, uh, knowledgeable membership, which I think that we did. And here we are all these years later, and it's back to ground zero, which is usually, usually disappointing. So how, how, do, you, how, how do you think that um, Samuelson pulled off this win, besides the, the obvious cheating that was going on? Well, um, to give you a little history, the first time he didn't think a white guy could win, so he had Barry Roberts. Who didn't think a white guy could win? Samuelson. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So he had Barry Roberts. Barry Roberts, and he was going to be the puppet master to Barry Roberts, the same way that Steve puppet mastered Tim Skimmerhorn. And that didn't work, so... He had people telling him, you know, yo, you, you can do this, you can run. And he ran and he won, but part of it was because I don't think that 
we were really prepared for big opposition, and we should have been because, excuse me, because um, there had been a campaign prior to the election, a campaign before the campaign, where they were demonizing Roger Toussaint for all kinds of fanciful, unbelievable, ridiculous things, but it was very effective. And he won that election, and once he got into power, it's easy to, it's easy to cheat. I mean, Donald Yates forged signatures, and they said it was okay. Yeah, because they didn't do anything about it. Not at all, you know. And um, that's not good unionism. That's not good democracy. That's not good citizenship, you know. So what kind of example is this uh, administration setting for the members? Well, when the mem I think that when the members don't understand what's going on, you know, that's why this administration gets away with what they get away with. Keeping the, keeping the membership from not understanding, basically keeping the membership ignorant, okay? Because when the membership wants certain things and doesn't, listen, under this administration, that's, you know, one of my pet peeves about it is that they've done nothing but trim and cut service. But when you discipline people, when you have a discipline system in place that's just atrocious, the way you have all these erroneous, right, you know, crazy write-ups, and people put in the street, and you know, so you say that it's because of the demand of service. But but my thing is, where's the service? You know, and um, like I said, this current administration is just uh, everything under the sun has happened ever since you guys have left office. You know, like I said, the members have been laid off, uh, and another thing is the union. The union's financial solvency is, is is in the dire straits, you know. So, um, like I said, uh, after and, and then after and then up to this day, a lot of people still don't understand why we struck. Okay, we struck because they had these things on the table that you know basically it was just like you know you know you know basically you guys fought off this two tier system that they have now, and they're not educating this current um, membership to understand that the history of what they're you know what they're dealing with now so if you can you know I know you I believe you were a member of the executive board back then right so could you shed some light on the strike and why we struck and what exactly was on the table because I know when Roger was here on the show the first time he talked about it but when it comes to the mind, when things are repetitious and you keep on hearing it, this is you know this is how members become educated as to what really is what really happened. So, could you please shed some light on it? I'm sure. Um, well, the main reason was for the tier six. Um, MTA put it on the table, and that's not even supposed to be part of the contract negotiations. And they dug their heels in, and. Um, you know, Roger wasn't going to accept that because it just wasn't fair. We, um, we knew that it could cause problems down the line, and we knew that if you do this, it's opening up the door. We couldn't, um, people were clamoring for pension reform. And then when you have a new tier that's accepted, how do you go back and then have 
pension reform. And so um, we struck for what we call the unborn. Some people have a problem with the name, but it just refers to members who are not yet on the property. And we felt that that was the right thing to do. And then to see all these years later, it just being handed over on a silver platter without a fight, without a word, is really usually disappointing. And it causes problems in the workplace because I'm working next to you, I'm new, you got 15 years, you got a whole different pension from me, I'm paying more, I'm making less. It's just totally unfair. John? You talked about, so, um, as far as strike or as far as the, um, the little history? As far as the strike, yeah, we, we struck up the years of, of abuse. I don't maintain it was only for the unborn, but that was the, that was the impetus uh, uh, after <coughs> the TA threw on the table the, uh, the TA6. But there were other uh, motivations that, that through the years led to that strike. And it was three years of, of 16,000 disciplines a year they were up to, and basically half your membership is written up on a, a, a weekly basis. Um, and health benefits being in the balance, the previous contract in 2002, uh, we, were, uh, we were broke. The health benefit trust was broke, and people failed to realize uh, we took a, a zero, that first, that first contract, and you constantly have to remind people why we took a zero, that first contract. Uh, we took zero, uh, three, and three. And that was because the previous administration under Willie James and Calhoun and wh whoever, in 1999, negotiated a contract and they, they did away with guaranteed benefits, where we, we had for a few years in the 90s guaranteed benefits, meaning where you had, uh, had as many people in your family and many people who were sick went to the doctors, and as, as much as inflation double digit went up on health care, which it was, uh, you would be covered for three years. Uh, no, uh, we had that in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Willie James sold that away and went for uh, uh, defined, benefits. defined benefits. Thank you. Which is, which is well, actually defined contribution. We had defined benefits. Defined contribution, meaning the TA gives you, here's 10 million. If you, good luck making it last three years while inflation goes up 15%. So, inf we didn't, uh, th that administration didn't guess well on how, how much inflation is going to go up. The, the 10 million only lasted two years, defined contribution. So we want $45 million in the hole, and now we're sitting at the contract table, $45 million owing the TA. Wow. Okay. So because of that $45 million, we had negotiated a zero, three, and three, because that's, we, owe, we owed the TA $45 million. One of the worst, and where it was a trend among unions, we're uh, getting away from defined benefit, guaranteed three years benefits, and going into defined contribution. Uh, when, when Roger came in in 2002, 
besides with taking that zero, he got it back, we got it back, to define benefit guarantee for three years, which was counter to the national trend for, for 20 years of giving that away. So in 2002, when most unions were giving it away, and we had given away three years previous, uh, Rogers, Tucson's administration, one, defined benefits, guaranteed three years of benefits, no matter how much inflation was going up, and it was going up incredible, uh, we won that back by taking that zero, which, if in any, anyone's estimation, uh, if you look at what health benefits are worth, guaranteed for three years, it was a very valuable contract in 2002. Um, again, so leading up to the strike, we, we weren't sure about our health benefits. We weren't sure about um, uh, how we're going to get rid of all this, this discipline under, under labor relations. Uh, we had to tame all that. And then they throw tier six on the table. So it was a whole list of, of major things that led to that strike. And um, it was, the outcome was excellent as far as I'm concerned. It, 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 it saved up right now, 8,000 people. They hire 2,000 a year. 8,000 people now have uh, excellent pension just like we do and were saved from, from losing their jobs through, through vicious labor relations. So 8,000 people now, anyone hired between 2005 and 2012, uh, have to get organized. Those are the people that need to be organized. And why do you say that? Because those are the people who benefited the most from, the from that strike. Earth. And every, every year, well, not now, no more, because yeah. right, yeah. they, they have they, they're stuck with CS6. Yeah. I'm, I'm a tier six. Okay, so I'm sorry to hear that for myself. You guys from 2012 <laughs> to 2016 need to get together with the, with the ladies and guys from t the seven years, 2005 to 2012. Uh, those, those beneficiaries and yourself that would be the, the, the major alliance that has to happen to, to progress this, this union leadership. Let me ask you a question. What is the main difference besides the two-tier system between uh, former President Willie James and, and Samuelson today? <sighs> I wouldn't... What, what, would you call it two-tier in, in the 90s? I'm not sure if it was No, I'm talking about as far as the two-tier that we got now, because it seemed like Willie James gave up a lot also. As far as health benefits, yes. Um, they were very, it was a business union. They were used to what, what, what they were used to in the, in the 70s and 80s, up until the mid-90s of business unionism. They, they, they had, I was on the executive board for from 93 till 2002. Three three terms. Okay. And executive board meetings under Willie, under under four presidents, under Sonny Hall, Damaso Sato, Willie James, and Roger Toussaint. Um, and just by the example of what how a, our executive board was 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 um, carried carried out under Sonny Hall, within and you you're representing representing 38,000 workers, okay? At first, in the, in the early 90s, we had three people on, on a 47-person board, New Directions did. Um, then the next election, three years later, we had maybe six people on. And eventually, we had 15 people on the board. Uh, eventually, we had almost half the board and 24 people. But 
the, the point being that um, in the on the, on the Stony Hall, Damaso Sayed and Willie James, within 15 minutes, there'd be one of their guys in the back move to adjourn, and they didn't even wait to vote. They just all walked out. Yeah. Um, at one point, we got tired of them doing that, and we probably 99 when we blocked the doors and said, no, this meeting's not over. And they called the cops. Uh, there was fish fights among different factions on the board. And uh, the cops actually went back downstairs. They said, this is, this is union business. And we, we uh, took over the, the, the dais of the executive board and we, uh, carried, we took some votes for another hour. Uh, we didn't let them out. They, some of them got out during the, during the fist fighting, but uh, uh, it was a, uh, it was, uh, we passed some stuff that, 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 was un, uh, that was taken away, it was ignored. But at that point, that's when we really, 98, 99, really uh, were hitting, the rubble was hitting the road and we, the elections were coming and it was a big thing. But, uh, but you're, you're, you're taking care of, 38,000 people and you're having 15 minute executive boards and just just the symbolism right there it's the indication is they don't give a, a rat's ass you could, yeah you could say whatever you want but one thing yeah. I want to touch on one thing I want to touch on is that um it was fist fights and no and nobody got arrested no and nobody got arrested <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like to hear fist fights and nobody get arrested that's right yeah I yeah. can't wait to get to Montague Street sometime. <laughs> we had some, good, we had some we had great people on the board yeah. at that point. Oh, boy. And that happened at least two or three times over a three-year period. Yes. Right. And I just want to piggyback what John said, because your original question was, what's the difference between Willie and, and Samuelson? And my answer is, there is none, because exactly the way it was under Willie James, where members were frustrated and stressed out and apathetic, is exactly how the members feel now. Exactly. So the big difference is Willie James was black and Samuelson is white. You know, but the leadership is exactly the same place it was back then, where it was like a management union. And I remember we would have arbitration, and the reps back then would. <coughs> asked the member to sit outside the room, they would go inside and make a deal and come out and tell the member what they would be getting. There was no real arbitration whatsoever. Uh, let me ask you this, because I want to play devil's advocate sure. for a little bit. Now, we say, um, you know, um, Samuelson, he don't like a certain class of people, but, you know, Willie James is black. Yes. And he basically did the same thing almost that um, – you know, Samuelson did. So, I mean, you say no. That's why I want to. I just want to get clarity. Like, what makes? Because I'm learning as I go along. Like as I interview guests, I'm learning as I go along. Also, but what makes um, Samuelson a, a define? You know, don't like this these certain group of people. I mean, like I, I like I, I from what I heard, and you know, he didn't go to the the little Black History thing. You know. That raised awareness to me as far as you being the president and not going to the the um, demographic who dominates the job event. To me, that's like a slap in the face for the president it not is, to go. It is, a, it is a slap in the face, but I, the difference, I was shaking my head, is because I think that Willie James was not particularly racist. 
He was just a president that didn't give a damn about anybody. He was there to make some money because there's a lot of money to be made up at the hall, mm -hmm. whether and, you do the job or not. And, and he, was, he was Sonny Hall's surrogate also. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. He was handpicked. He was handpicked by Sonny to, you know, do this job after Sonny went to the international. Oh, birds and the feather flock together, huh? Yeah, they come from the old regime. Because right. like I said, Map Store ran the union yeah. right. back during that time yep. before right. before New Directions got into power. The right. only one that was from um was Damazo Sater from TA Surface or was he I'm was he always? Sure. I don't remember. I, don't I believe he was, he was from TA Service. I'm not, not remembering. It was so short a period. <laughs> it was like what two years. He, he didn't lasted. last too long. He didn't last very long. Oh, okay, all right. But definitely, you know, don't see they they had more power, and they got more of what they wanted back. You know, like you know, like back before the '80s. Like I think before y'all came on the job. Map you, store. Map store. Yeah. yeah. And, and when they, they ran, ran things, things, they ran mm -hmm. things. They ran those depots. They, they uh, if something happened, they're like, okay, these buses ain't going out of here. So, you know, I guess they were still tr piggybacking off of what they did back then and the way it was back then. But basically, you know, these were a bunch of guys who just it is what it is. They were getting old. So now it was, t it was so basically it was time to get, at that time, I'm guessing it was time to get new blood in there. And the same way it is now. It's like now these people are not old. But they're also not, they just, again, they just want to be away from their tools. Yep. Right. They don't have the education. Right. They don't have the strength. They don't have the passion. And they don't write. They don't have the passion and they don't have the knowledge to carry out and really see to it that all the members have a fair shake on this job and that um, all the members are satisfied with being able to hang their, you know, you know, being able to hang their, you know, being able to walk with their heads held high when they come to work for transit, you know? Yeah, and you know, one, one problem that I have with, you know, the union is they think that this is corporate America where they work in a nine to five. This is a 24 hour operation, you understand? And, and nobody didn't appoint you this. You actually put your name down and ran for it and you should be able to handle the responsibility that come with it. You know, this is not a nine to five. Oh, I'm off now. I don't work on the weekend. I don't do this. If somebody need help, they need help. You know what I'm saying? And 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 that's my that's one of my major problems with it now. Is like, listen, we we in dire straits right now. You can't be. There's no boundaries to be made. We have to do what we got to do. If I got to stay up, work 15 hours for the union, that's something that I have to do because we're in trouble now. Right. Us, us new guys is in trouble. Labor, right. labor in general is in trouble. Is in labor trouble. across the country. Right. These people, they're too good to touch the bus. They're too good to be at to be at their tools to work alongside to work alongside the members. I mean, if I, if I was a union rep, that's what I would do. I, I I feel that they should work a certain amount of hours in the field. Well, under Roger, we did. Like I said right. before, it's a burnout job because. You want to educate and inform and touch as many members as possible. That means you got to be out in the field. Um, for myself, I didn't have a car, so I did all my running around um, by train and by bus. And I also worked nights for a while um, <clears throat> because, like you said, it's 24-7. We had a night crew that would go around because the night crew always feels neglected. You know, mm -hmm. traditionally the union caters to the biggest mouth, which is the day shift, you know, and I need around around at night for at least two years. I'm not sure if it was more than that, or maybe three, on our own, 
for uh, the midnight shift, and she was basically put on that to make it work, and she made it work as far as car equipment. It was called, the uh, I don't know, the Moonlighting Committee or whatever it was. <laughs> and take, take, she doesn't have a car. So taking the train all night long for at least three years, and that was her job. And that was actually the first car maintenance um, Moonlighting Committee that ever worked. Wow. They, don't, they dropped that, though. So, Ms. Clan, what struggles did you have as a woman coming up in a man-dominated field? Wow. Okay, I could. Take I want to hear. I, w- I want to hear them all because I need the women committee to listen to real struggles, not just bathrooms and locker okay. rooms, and not, ju- <laughs> and, not, and not just and not just the women's committee. I want all females. I want all the younger fe- younger generation of females to hear what you have to say about the struggles in transit because, like I said, you came up, you started, and you like you told me you had a child, young child, still coming on the job. And you paid your dues, and you and you and you work weekends and holidays and all that stuff. You didn't, you know, try to go in there and you know butter up the, the chairperson and try to get a day off and all the nonsense. So you know, just like Tremel said, you know, beyond the women's committee, and you know, can you give the women something to aspire to and not just bathrooms and locker rooms? <laughs> well, it is it is a big issue. <laughs> It is a big issue for us, but um, to give you a little background, I came in in 83, found out that I was pregnant in 86, and I had taken one test to promote up. I failed it, but it just made me more determined I'm going to take the test again. And I took the test, and I passed. And then they called me for my um, physical, and I was nine months pregnant, and I went. And everybody was laughing at me, but I was like, oh, you know, I don't know how, how soon they're going to call me. So I took the, took the physical, and um, while I was pregnant, I was working at East New York. I waddled up to my chairman, and I said, um, what kind of maternity leave do you have? And he says, oh, you're covered. You, um, you could take a year off, and you could come back, and you have your job, and you had your seniority. The only thing you don't do is get paid for the whole year. I was like, wow. Okay. So my daughter was born, and two weeks later, they called us for the CMT program. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm staying home with my baby. You know, I'm not going back to work. And John and Naomi, they did the right thing. They talked me into going into the program. So two weeks after my daughter was born and I was breastfeeding, I went into the car maintainer training program. But even before that, I had problems because these are some of the issues that don't face the women coming in now. And they need to recognize that it was the union that fought very hard to pave the way for what they have. I came in and, uh, you know, everything goes by seniority. So I'm, I'm in the uh, pick room and they're telling us to pick where we wanted to work. I lived in Queens, so I was like, okay, I want to work in Corona or uh, Jamaica because that's all I knew, Queens. And they told me, oh, no, those, those places don't have women's uh, facilities available. So you had to pick either 207th Street or Coney Island. Those are the only two facilities and car equipment that could service women. Wow. And women were coming in in big numbers at that time. So I picked Coney Island. I ended up picking up Coney Island. I went to East New York. I got kicked out of Coney Island. Why? Okay. That was a woman's <laughs> issue. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, I'm going to tell you why. Um, 
I worked in the overhaul shop, and there were other cleaners that were working in the barn, and it's connected by a bridge. And the women shared a locker room because, like I said, we didn't have a lot of facilities. So the women in the barn and the women in the overhaul shop shared the same locker room. And the, the barn chief had a habit of putting um, attractive women in the office not doing cleaner work. And I was one of them. So I did it. I'm guilty. <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> and um, there was a woman named Corinne Scott, and then she became Corinne Scott Mack, who worked in the overhaul shop that was very jealous of the women that were working in the office. And she created a hostile environment in the locker room. And when I say hostile, I mean women were cursing at us under their breath. They were threatening us. I was scared to go into the locker room. And if you think I'm small now, I was even smaller then. <laughs> and, and Corinne was a pretty big woman. So um, we went to the union. And of, excuse me, of course, the union was doing nothing. There was no response. And um, so my, my barn chief uh, sent me and I think it was two or three other women that worked in the office to get rid of the heat. They kicked us out. And um, I was the only woman that owned my job. The others hadn't had a pick, so they didn't own their job. And I told my, my barn chief, uh, I own my job. You can't do this to me. And he was like, well, when you get to East New York, Anita, you can talk to your chairman over there. Wow. And um, I went to East New York, and I found Nirvana. It was a black barn chief, and it was a black barn. And I had been in Coney Island with all these Italians, you know. And I was like, I'm not going back to Coney Island. That's nothing but trouble. So <laughs> I ended up staying at, at East New York. So that's how I got to be kicked out. Okay. But um, there were very few um, facilities for women, and we had to fight for that. I remember working in, in, uh, in the barn, and there were no women's bathrooms on the floor, but they had men's bathrooms on the floor, no doors, and the men let everything hang out. Um, there were pictures of naked women with big boobs all <laughs> over the place. I'm serious. <laughs> Do you remember that, John? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Because, you know, it was a man's world, and, you know, the men had the posters up. Management didn't say anything. John, what posters did you put up? The, the worst that I had was Farrah Fawcett. Nothing more than no, that. No, they, they had... Oh, wow. They had, they had, I'll never forget, they had Chesty Morgan up there, and, and I was like... <laughs> but anyway... Um, I also got grief from when I first started from the guys because they weren't used to women on the job. The guys in my gang were somewhat resentful. Oh, woman's going to cause problems, and what's she doing on the job? And then I had problems with the older Italian guys who really, truly felt that women should be home um, cooking the food and taking care of babies and making babies. Mm -hmm. And it was somewhat problematic for me. I was a car cleaner at the time in the barn, when you had to clean, uh, you had to take this bucket and mop and put it up on the car. And the car in the barn is not like on a platform. It's way up high. Above your head. Above your head, and there was no way I could lift that bucket up over my head onto the car, so I always had to ask some guy to do that. Eventually, I fit in with the, with the crew, 
but every place that I went to uh, was a new um, challenge that I had to face, a new barrier that I had to knock down. And um, I worked for a while in Coney Island Yard at night, no female facilities, no bathroom out there, <coughs> no trailer, no oven, no nothing. So you wanted to get something to eat, you had to cross all the tracks with all those 600 volts, and you had to go to the tower to eat or to go to the bathroom. And that's a real issue, you know. Um, what else? Uh, I'm just trying to think of all the ways that it was just a struggle for me even after uh, I got into the program. The guys would tease me because I just had the baby. They would tease me because I was a woman. There was, I don't remember how many people in the class, but there were five women mm. and only three survived. Um, wow. Yeah. And um, there was a constant undercurrent of, you know, harassment that, you know, you're not wanted there, you know, because you're a woman and it's male dominated. And then you had to be careful because uh, guys would be talking about their sex lives all the time and talking about women, you know, and here I am in the middle of all of this. And so there were a lot of issues that were, could really discourage a person or it could make you stronger, you know. And it made me stronger and so um, as a result of that, uh, going fast forward when, when um, Roger asked me to come back to head up the Women's Committee, I wrapped that up in both of my arms because there are so many women's issues Aside from being harassed on the job, we have women who are harassed in the home, domestic violence, and this affects your, your um, job because if you have a black eye, you might not want to come to work. You're embarrassed, you're humiliated. Uh, so you start eating up your vacation time, you start eating up your sick time, and um, that affects you. Uh, you get verbal harassment. <clears throat> There's all kinds of different harassment that we face every day on the job from your coworkers, from management, and it, it was not an easy ride. So um, we had no, like I said, no maternity coverage, um, problems with simple things that I think the average person doesn't think about when you're, you're using your broom or your mop and you're wearing the gloves. Everything is man size. It's not woman size, you know? The mop was a problem for me. It was too heavy. We had to take strands out because I couldn't swing it. Swing the mop. Yeah. It was too heavy. Um, so those are the small issues that might sound insignificant, but to a woman, you add them all up and it becomes really quite burdensome. You think about the train operator, the conductor, the bus operator, that's a woman. And all of a sudden, she's got to take a personal for, you know, female needs. Where does she go? You know, where does she go to the bathroom? And when we, even when we urinate, it's not the same as a guy. You know, we need to have a, a toilet seat and we need to have toilet paper. And so those are issues, having sanitary napkins in the workplace, having a place to lay down if you're feeling, you know, um, not so good, you know, um, trying to work because there was no maternity leave, trying to work, you know, while you're pregnant, 
is very, very uh, problematic and, and could be traumatic. I, I was really lucky when I was pregnant. I worked in East New York. I got off the platform. I came into the barn. They let me work in the lunchroom. Then they let me work in the office. I worked up until I was um, you know, ready to give birth, but not everybody was that lucky. And in, in, in other um, departments, it's not that easy. No, it's not easy because I know a lot of um, I know a few you know th- through the years I know a few female bus operators who worked all the way up until giving birth you know and there's some um, you know when you sit there and you hit those bumps and potholes potholes yeah. or whatnot you know it can take effect on you know the birth of your child mm-hmm. it can take effect on you know hopefully it wouldn't cause any defects or anything like that to your child you know same with the conductor and train operator and you're breathing in all that steel dust and right. underground but premature births I'm, did anyone ever do a study on premature births among bus drivers or conductors no not that i know of no like you know again those women's issues go neglected you know because i have you know, so hopefully the women the current women, women's committee will address those issues to women you know, throughout, you know, throughout the system, you know, because there are a lot of women in large numbers now in, in, in transit, you know, you know, still not the dominant, but they are here in, in large numbers, you know. So, um, you know, hopefully they could get some, you know, they, I know what helps is uh, what Governor Cuomo just signed into law over the past week with the, uh, you know, 12 weeks, uh, you know, 12 weeks paternity leave, maternity leave. Shout out to Cuomo for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a good thing. What, what somebody said about that? They said, um, um, "Well, I hope the union get on it." Well, they they have no choice. People people think that MTA is bigger than the law. MTA isn't bigger than the law. No, they're not above the law. They think that they bigger than state, federal, and even city law. They not. You understand what I'm saying? They, it has to go in. Yes, but the, that that progressive legislation for family leave was flopping around for a couple of years. And if you had a good uh, lobbyist, a lobbying committee up in Albany, uh, especially our union, you would have seen that and seen where that's, that's something that's coming on, uh, on the table and it could pass. Okay? So uh, just it, sh- it should be notable that we, we uh, spent a lot of time negotiating uh, family leave and we, that was a good benefit. It was one of the only uh, really good things on the last contract. Um, but right now, everyone got that um, through a, a legislative struggle that, that was won, okay? That our lobbyists should have saw, and we wouldn't have had to waste that much time on, on, on buying that, because at a contract table, you have a couple choices of buying you know, two out of 10 things, and we went for the family leave, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But everyone's now getting it for non-negotiating for free that we got two years ago uh, and we should could have saw that coming. So it's, it's, it's a comment on our ineffective lobby, lobbyist. That's how I see that, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm glad we won it, okay? Um, but negotiating time is very valuable. Uh, you have to choose what you're gonna negotiate and, and what are you going for. And that was very valuable at the time, but they should have saw it coming down the road where every Everyone uh, in New York State, anyway, is going to get that for free. Actually, in, in, in California and a couple of states also passed that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you might be, you might say, well, let's go for that's coming down the pike in legislation. Maybe we should um, negotiate uh, a, a little less for that and get some more um, 
what and what bigger health raise. Be- yeah, bigger <laughs> raise, health benefits, or whatever. Definitely. Okay. So I, I I think that's a comment on our inability to to uh, to keep our hand on the pulse in Albany as a as a union. Now we in a contract year this year. What what you feel is important to gain in the contract and or not even lose anymore because we lost we lost some things. What is important to keep and gain more of? Like, what would you negotiate? Are you, I want to hear yours next, Ms. Clinton. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is absolutely, this is Anita's show tonight, so I'm, I'm just giving inside comments. Uh, so, but you, you have, if you're asking me directly, um, I would definitely, I mean, <laughs> we are so uh, due for, well, for, for, actually for more family benefits, okay? Um, more than even what the legislature in Cuomo just announced. Um, uh, better health benefits, they, they claim that they got improved dental that we're paying another 0.5% for. Every indication from, from my, I'm in one of the biggest shops, Cornell Nova Hall, and every indication in, in my shop and, other, uh, and from what I'm hearing on the road is that the dental is exactly the same or even worse than it was. Okay, well, a lot of dentists don't even don't even take whether it's healthplex or whatever it is. Um, so be- better benefits, and um, no, be even before a raise, no s- selling out any sector of this union, because right now we're on the road of of you, uh, who's the next victim. Okay? <laughs> you you sold out. All your, all your new people are now, uh, that amounts to 8,000 people now, okay? You're one of the only sh- folks, I, I, even among members on, I, I see every day, this show is the only one of the folks that realize that it's a two-tier wage system now, okay? Where some unions in this country in the last two years have, have, have rejected those type of contracts and threatened to strike because they're not accepting two-tier two, two, two wage systems. We accepted it, mm-hmm. okay? And now, so the next, the question is under this leadership, uh, who's the next victim? What sector are they going to sell out to get a three percent raise? Okay? And that's that's a problem. So, um, yes, uh, health benefits, raises, um, skills upgrade. Right now, there's nothing going on. Everyone's locked in their unskilled position for the their the whole careers. Okay, they might have a token thing here. I see. I just saw something today online where uh, Crystal Young is working on something where um, the certificate program, which is progress for this union because they, they ignored that and they, they ignored APEX for the last six years. I thought that program been in. No, the TCP program still exists. That's the, um, that's the um, program that allows you to, right now they only have it for the um, title of train operator, but what it is is. That was in there before she got. Before yeah. she came yes, oh, but yeah. she, I, I yeah. believe she, yeah. she and her people are trying to re, re, uh, resurrect that. I mean, I think she's okay. just promoting it. I think okay. she's promoting yeah, it, yeah, because I don't, it was never... I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's nothing more than, than promotion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. It was uh, never It was never on the chopping block, because I did the TCP program. Oh, you did? Yeah, and it's and it's for... um it's for the, They have it for... They only have it for the title of train operator, because it's... um What it is, is it's, it's three legs. You have to go to school to the Murphy Institute in Midtown on 43rd Street, and you right. have to take two college level classes and you have to pass them. And then once you pass them, then you get, you know, then you go to the union hall for the third part of the class, which is a promotion to train operator. So they teach you the ins and outs 
of that right. title job and they get you ready to take the exam. Yeah, you also get so college credits for it. You too. get college right. credits, right. So the, all, all this being that um, skills upgrade is a fundamental part of any, any union. And, and, the, and the main demand I would make on this contract is no selling out, no titles, no department, um, Nobody. no member uh, in or out of, of the union. Okay. That no should what? be a main demand. You said no, no what, Miss Clinton? Nobody. Oh, don't, nobody. Don't sell out nobody. Uh, just, I mean, you can sell out forty-nine percent of your members, to, and fifty-one percent will, will vote for it, right? But uh, that's that's not unionism. That's just that's the downward spiral of of cannibalism. Yeah. You have to you have to maintain a certain integrity of the union, and not sell out sectors of the union just for other sectors. That's not unionism. Um, and that should be a fundamental um, demand in, in this kind of contract. No victims. We all, we all, we all rise together. Yeah, I agree. So how, what, what do you feel, Ms. Clinton, as far as what we need to gain in this next contract? Um, <clears throat> I'm at a little disadvantage. I've been retired for four years. And the way that we always did it was to take surveys and survey the member. Each department does a survey because you can't make a demand if you don't know where there's a problem because the contract really is about trying to fix a problem or a void. And so I'm not on the job anymore. I think John covered most of it. But for me, I would like to see um, some of the things that we had in the contract that Samuelson basically gave up, gave up and gave away. And that to me is almost like treason. So if we can get some of those things reinstituted, and really the members deserve a big fat raise because in the last contract, we went into negotiating negotiations already fully knowing everybody on both sides of the table knew that there was a $1.9 billion surplus. So there's no reason why we should have got the nickels and dimes that the members got. Well, you know. It wasn't like what John was talking about when we didn't, when the health benefits was in deficit. We didn't have that situation. So, um, you know, night differential has been a problem for a long time that hasn't been addressed, and we could address that problem. But people need raises to keep pace with the uh, cost of living and inflation, and um, we need to keep what we have and stop giving it away. Yeah, Nick Bedell did say that um, Sam Houston is going for the money this contract so you know at what expense right at what expense <laughs> but we, i mean we will find out yeah it, definitely. If, it, if it even get addressed this year and when the next yeah. year i mean when, right. is, when is he gonna start the you know when is he you know because we see through the newspapers uh the mta is uh, doing their regular game plan which is you know members sleeping on the job you're gonna see pictures of uh, people sleeping on the job um TW members and you know talking about how broke they are they're gonna have all kinds of stories that's so typical it's been the their um play in their playbook for years you know year after year after year every time there's a contract negotiation well this this th last week they started handing out surveys again on on, on the jobs oh, uh, okay, so uh, and, and that's okay. just an indication of uh, look we're doing something uh, but if you look at the survey from from last contract um, Wages were number in the first two, 
and we got the worst wages we ever had. Do we after a five-year contract? You you you're losing like, like six thousand uh, dollars because you're behind inflation for uh, all those at least one percent behind inflation for all those five years. And then a five-year contract. I mean, I would like to demand a three-year contract again, but that'll be a. I wouldn't even try it because once you once you allow them to give you a five-year contract. <laughs> That, that's that that's left the barn. You ain't getting back a three-year contract for the uh, next 20, 30 years. Well, I would like to say unofficially we got a five-year contract. We'll definitely find out find out now. Oh, yeah, definitely unofficially because <laughs> it's not in the language, but definitely, um, you yeah, know, it's, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to give that away. That's the ace right, right there. Right, exactly. You so know? we're stuck with that. Oh, yeah. You know, I read off um, the list of contract demands of progressive action that, you know, Tramell and myself have basically uh, put together, and we think that the mem- you know, we f- we feel personally that the members would do good with getting, and um, but basically, personally, my pet peeves are, uh, you know, like my top demands would be, you know, definitely the raises, you know, it would have to be, you know, double digit raises to cover, um, so that all the members could be able to um, pay their rent and pay their mortgage comfortably. And also, after you do that, pay yourself. And I was in the financial services business, and the term pay yourself means be able to put a, about a good 10 to 15% of your pay into your 401k or for, and 457, okay? And, um, and then after that, then you should, be able to t- you, know, you should be able to send your kids to college with no problem. You know, basically, you should be able to live without doing a whole lot of overtime. Right now, everybody has to do a certain amount of overtime in order to cover expenses. You know, yeah. you're talking about technology, and you know we have to keep up with technology ourselves because if you want members to do things online, MyPay, BSC, everything has to be done online now instead of going to the general in the depots, going into the general, or going to you know whoever handles that at your location. Everything has to be done online, so. Why not keep the members up with enough money so that they could keep up with technology? Yeah, some unions have negotiated a matching 401k, 457. Right. Meaning whatever you put in, they match it. Exactly. That ex- actually still exists in some some unions. Yeah. Why not demand that? Right. And these night differentials, just like you said, Ms. Night Clinton, differentials are huge. They, they, they've been the same since 1980. Yes. Mm-hmm. Since yeah. to four, uh, April first, nineteen eighty. Okay, so that's what I mean. And, and so they, sh- they definitely should be increased by two dollars, you know. And then my, you know, the third thing for me is, of course, is, I mean, I like, like I said, I have a variety of, we have a, ver- a, a variety of demands here, but also the universal passes. If members have to get to work from whatever part of the region they're in. They should be able to get to work with no problem, because if you're willing to discipline, and if your car breaks down, if you have a flat tire, whatever it is, and then you can't call out sick, so now you have a UA. So now when you go in there to the office now to ask, basically you're at the mercy of management to say, okay, you could use a day to cover your UA, but if you, but if the UA doesn't get covered, they'll throw. And this is, and this as was said to me. Even though I only had one UA in six, sixteen what is, years. What is a UA? Oh, sorry, unauthorized absence. Okay. Okay, so if a manager told me, so listen, this is what you have your transportation pass for to get to work. So I said, okay, no problem, you know. So <laughs> from that point on, I'm like, 
my thing is give everybody passes to where it can work on our express buses. How do you negotiate something to where you give a pass <laughs> to where metri- it works on other systems and not our own? But get mm-hmm. this, though. NYPD got a universal metro car. Right. And we don't. And we don't. <laughs> and they don't even really have to use their pass. They, they can, just use they, they can the flash their badge, yeah. yeah. That's right. But they pass work everywhere. everywhere. That blue and white pass? Mm-hmm. I want me a blue and white pass because this red and white one is not getting me too far. <laughs> no, it's not. It's definitely not getting me to Long Island for free. No. How about a real union hall? Oh, yeah. you talking about the co- the condo over there? Yeah. The nice, <laughs> the, 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 the luxury floors. Yeah, the luxury nice building floor. over that's, there. That's so uh, cold to members, and it doesn't welcome members at all. This is what I, because I, I know I know that they listening. <laughs> I know the current administration listens. If we decided to come together and actually come two, three hundred um, deep, use use on my street terminology, but wanted to come two, three hundred people deep. Where, where you go gonna, fit us? Where they gonna go? Right. You go? Are you gonna retract them fake walls? You got? You got in the union hall and make it one big office? <laughs> like what? What do we go do there? Well, I think um, one ninety five Montague is more for the officers than it is for the members. Without a doubt, without because yeah. it make it seem like the boss is on the top floor. Right. Samuelson is on nine. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What, what is it up there? Is it a fortress? Do I have to announce myself when I come through the door? Right. How many people? How many members of had access to that floor. I think we need to just go up there and just ask some questions. Well, it goes. It, it just goes to the the union job as being a hustle again. Um, yeah. when, when, well, the, the LM two forms, okay, the Labor Department f- yearly forms are out this week. Where can we get that? Please. Okay, you. I'll get you Online. the code. But you go. You go to uh, uh, the Labor Department, um, TW Local One Hundred. But there's a three-digit code which makes it easier. You could still go to uh, Labor Department, um, uh, uh, Transport Workers Local 100 LM2 form, March 2016, and you'll still spend another 10, 15 minutes of searching. But once you got that three-digit code of our, what our union is to the Labor Department, it, you snap, it snaps right up, Local 100, and it'll all appear. And could Beautiful you explain thing. to the people what the LM2 LM2 form, every union in, in the country um, has to... Uh, report every penny that comes in in dues, which is right now I think it's about I don't know I forget I don't want to lie I forget what figure is but um, and every penny that they spend uh, on salaries and lobbying or what, well not lobbying uh, everything everything yeah I um, and it's very valuable and it's 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 by law they have to do it and uh, it comes out every March. Oh, every March. And if you compare, what's good about it, you compare it to last year or six years ago, and you compare, we did a comparison study, uh, how many people were making uh, under different presidents are making over $95,000, union union release people. Um, six years ago, that was, uh, actually, let me look at the figure itself. Six years ago, I think it was uh, 12 people. Um, now it's uh, about 35 people, and we'll we'll count them. How many people now are making over 95,000 in the union? So meaning you're getting top heavy with u- big salary union reps. Okay, so what what you're doing? With, that's that's the hustle that's going on. We have we have people in our department, three guys. Uh, we have uh, we negotiated a, a labor fund instead of the union using union dues to pay some some release time. They'll use a labor fund negotiated the pool of money. To get more release people on the, on the job, um, we have three people who were sent back to their tools. Okay, elected. two people elected, elected. Uh, unelected. 
They were appointed for six years. Lost, lost every election for the last uh, six years. Uh, they've been they were appointed to. Uh, to uh, I'll say the oh, names. No, no, no. They were appointed I wanna, to. I want to hear the names. They were, <laughs> they were appointed to uh, uh, $95,000 jobs or, or more. One guy was appointed to a $125,000 job. Ooh. And now they were sent back to the tools temporarily. And on the side, they were making uh, 10, 10 hours a week, 20 hours per check uh, uh, out of the labor fund. And nobody knows about it. And why that's happening, we don't know, because the point is, it's unions become a, a hustle again, like it was in the 80s and 90s. Okay, just just a good paying job that uh, where you work uh, your eight hours and, and, get, and get the hell out. Um, and if you, and like you said earlier, if you f you tell people, no, I want 10 hours out of you. You're elected by your members. We need 10 hours out of you, and and, and you earn your pay. They'll call you a dictator, like they did to Roger. If you have executive board meetings instead of 15 minutes, getting rid of. Uh, calling them uh, adjourning the meeting, and Roger used to make us suffer through three, four-hour meetings, you're a dictator because you're taking care of the member's business for three or four hours, okay? So there was, a there was always a minority of, of, of Sunny Hall people still on the board, so they just <laughs> spread rumors. Oh, Roger's a dictator. He's getting rid of uh, union reps who aren't doing their job. He's, 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 he drags us through three, four hours of, of membership important issues. Um, so that's, that's, that's how that dictator rumor started. Because he was actually uh, getting getting people to work for, for for members on the road and taking care of issues on a monthly basis. As okay? he should. Uh, right now, the good board. I'm I'm, af I'm afraid to ask how long those meetings are. So who who are the, who are those people? Um, I believe he's talking about Richie Rivera. Mm -hmm. um, he was in a CMT program with John and I, and uh, I had begged Richie not to go over to what I call the dark side. But he went to the dark side. He went to the dark side. He got mm. drunk with the power. <laughs> There's a guy in this LM2. I just took a real quick look at it last night. I didn't really. Um, he's a chairman of one of our 16 barns. He's on his tools. Somehow he made $15,000 over a year extra on top of his, 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 his car inspector salary. How that is possible? Not doing any union work, no one knows. Wow. So it, it kind of makes sense why people would do by any means necessary to not go back to their tools exactly. and, stay, right. and exactly. stay at the union. Right. So it's become a hustle again. And until until the 18,000 people who had ballots in their junk mail and <laughs> the discouraged voters start voting again, it's going to remain the same. Without what Those discouraged voters, and it's our fault, we didn't inspire our own team, okay, along with the, the other team, but our team did not inspire those 18,000 people, or some of them anyway, to vote. I don't call them apathetic, I call them discouraged voters. We didn't inspire them, we didn't do our job. 18,000 ballots, more people didn't vote who got ballots than did vote. I think uh, 16,000 voted. Uh, Joe got 7,000, the other guy got um, 9,000. And uh, the election was over with 18,000 ballots still sitting in the junk mail. See, you wanna know- And when that changes, the union will not be a hustle anymore. You want to know, see, one of the things that I pay attention to, like I'm in different Facebook groups, and the new members just don't care. It, they just don't care. They woke up one time when MCU failed to deposit their <laughs> yeah, check one time. Two weeks ago. I, I was That's when they, they all started to care. And I'm like, you don't care about the discipline? You don't care about like the, all the other things that, that management is doing? Well, I... What I try to explain to people is that um, the members are typical of the average person walking around on the street and 
really doesn't care about an issue unless it affects them personally. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so um, that was one of the missions that uh, New Directions brought to TW Local 100 when we became officers. We wanted to figure out a way to connect more members to the union. And that was um, one of the reasons why we had all these ethnic holidays to show that your union was working for you, that it's not just about discipline, it's not just about defending you, that the union has so much to offer you. And people typically come to work, they do their job, and they go home. And unless they're being abused or being harassed or being shorted, they're not really getting plugged in. So I don't blame the members for that um, because they have to be taught. I didn't come in to the transit authority thinking about being a good union member or being an activist or being an officer, but I had some help along the way. And so I think it's important to realize that members are just people coming to do their job. And it's the union's job to make them think in terms of, I'm not a TA employee, I'm a union member. We have to use that kind of language Right now, we don't have an administration that's going to instill that kind of pride in our members. So there's a, a vacuum there that needs to be filled by someone who's going to take up that mantle and say, it might be okay, but it can, it can be better. You know, And if it's not happening to you, but it's happening to him, it has the potential to happen to you. And people need to be explained those things. Informed. Um, and and part of it's, I mean, we have to be self-critical. Part of it's our fault. We haven't put out a newsletter in almost five months. And people, like you said, people are not concerned about discipline. But we're not informing them about There's no one informing them about the rise in discipline and, and how the, the dental's getting worse. Or I mean, no, people need to be informed. Unless, you, unless, unless you, we have a personal issue with labor relations or whatever, or with a doctor, I'm not going to know that this thing, this issue is going on. So we have to, we have to inform people. Were you in charge of the newsletter at one time or something like that? I was a, a, a main editor of the newsletter. Uh, uh, we, we call it Transport Tribune. Uh, it needs to come out or whatever, in whatever form or whatever name. Leaflets need to come out, right, we, <laughs> and they're not being put out. So it, unless people are being informed. Once that we inform them and they don't do nothing, I'll criticize those members up and down. But if they're not being informed, that's on us. Yeah. 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 And you and you know also, um, you know, Tremel talks about education a lot, and you know people go, you know, and, and people's, you know, attack him for it, and people think that oh he's coming at them to say oh you need to go get a degree to be in the union. No, you don't need a degree to go be in the union and be an officer and activist, but. It would it would help some in this day and time in a different playing field from 1966 when Quill struck. Okay, you know, like I said, that you know the way he did it and his methods and everything worked for the 60s and the 50s and the 40s back when he was leading these struggles. Okay, but this is 2016. You know, where you talk about, um, you know, my thing is, it, the the union should not be in the red. Okay, and these officers um, just constantly taking these hefty salaries and constantly taking these you know extra compensation and benefits and stuff like that from the union. Like, listen, you're only putting the union more in the red, okay? And the thing is, um, when they go to the contract table, 
again, the MTA board. He Tremel talked about the MTA board and their education. They know the MTA board knows the level of education that Samuelson and these other people come are coming with to the table when they come to the table, including including Governor Cuomo. So my thing is, if you have people, basically what you have now is a blind leading the blind, and if you have people that come with certain education and come with certain knowledge and certain training and come to the table with it, then maybe you'll have the MTA board saying, okay, these people, you know what they're talking about. But until then, they're going to continue to slap and throw whatever it is on the table, and they basically they know that we're going to accept it because they know about the social engineering that's going on with you know, the membership, and they know that the younger members are the future of this union, so this is their way of breaking the union. Hell, it was like that a decade ago when they were, you know, when Roger and them was at the contract table then. They were trying to break the union. See, my a thing that the people don't understand about me is that um, five years ago, you couldn't pay me to go to school because I didn't believe in it. You know what I'm saying? I actually, when I when I, I came to um, TA, well, yeah, I came here, 2013, right? Yeah, 13. 2013. The job was actually boring. Like it, it requires no thinking. It's just like I'm in a cab, and it's like I'm just constantly self-reflecting, and I'm like I need to do something with my life. So you know what? Let me go try school. First class. I said I'm. A, I'm a, I haven't been in school in like 17 years. I said let me take a business class. Took a business class. Got an A. I said all right. That's my crash course. Then I just next semester I got nothing but A's. And the, and the the classes really inspired me to learn and dig deeper for more information. And it's not even like I got a degree now. I'm going through it now. You know what I'm saying? I'm running a full-time business. I'm dealing with transit crazy, extra list schedule, uh, and I'm going to school. So, And I'm doing this radio show now. So I'm constantly doing research and all these different things. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, went, I wasn't going to do this five years ago. School actually inspired me to – do this to dig deeper and the people I feel that I'm arguing with about school is people who never stepped foot inside of school into higher education and things like that so they don't really they're not talking from experience because a lot of them say oh you know I have families I couldn't do this I couldn't do that that's understandable but I'm talking from my experience and then like Jamel said uh what I say about the MTA board and and coming with education you have to fight fire with fire at, at some point. And it's, to me, it's deeper than just knowing the contract. You got to know political science. You got to know um, um, trends. It's bigger than just labor because it, it, we ain't only negotiating against labor. You have to be psych, like um, psychology. You have to know these different, these different um, uh, uh, trades or trends or whatever, whatever you want to call them, disciplines. You got to learn these dis different disciplines in order to be successful in today's world. So one of your main contract demands would be co free college credit or co college courses so we can uh, our members can move up. Yeah, I mean, I, they got the they got they just implemented the um with that tuition reimbursement tuition again, reimbursement. which right. which is it isn't a lot of money, but it's incentive to do something. Right. You know what I'm saying? But we have to reach down at, or not reach. We reach over to our uh, our less formally educated members, to our unskilled members, and bring them up, okay? I mean, that's, that's, that's part of what we have to do. And just, I, 
I had I went to three different colleges. No, I've never graduated. Okay, all over the map. <laughs> and uh, but I, it, but Brooklyn College changed my life for the better. I was a Catholic schoolboy. But I, if I didn't go to Brooklyn College, I would have been some re- real jerky boy on the street. But um, even without graduating, changed my life forever. Uh, uh, but the, 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 the thing is, we 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 need to formal education is is, is one thing. Uh, but you look at, say, the teachers' union, for instance, mm-hmm. or the uh, p- uh, professional staff congress, uh, the, the professors' union. Okay, they ain't making no big strides because they they need leadership with balls. So it's one thing being educated. It's what if you're educated with balls, that's the your ultimate leader. Yeah. But um, I don't know how on the radio what's what's the substitute for balls, but it's you you need an <laughs> equal amount of education <laughs> and balls to to to, to be successful. Uh, union. I agree. It, it, it's a balance. You can't have too much of one thing and not have the other. You know what I'm saying? You can have all the fight, but if you don't got the knowledge and the education to back it up. Yeah, those two unions are not doing too great. Yeah. Okay, they're very educated people. Yeah. Okay? So we, we got we to gotta balance that out. Okay. Yeah. And yes, definitely we need, our, our members need information and education. There's no doubt about well, it. Well, personally, I believe that the biggest threat to the MTA is an angry, involved active membership because you can have a lot a lot of educated fools you can go to college and still be a fool you can go to college and not have any balls and you can go to college really and not have any leadership skills and um, I remember we used to argue on the floor when we were just new directions and members would say oh you're not experienced and you wouldn't know what to do and I think that we proved that wrong you know um, and it was the power of the members on the street and being active and involved that got us the things that we needed to get. If you look at the folder that I gave both of you guys, you're gonna see in there the presentation, you remember, John? And um, it lays out <clears throat> in a very scientific, logical way um, the discipline, how it's really, truly racist, and about raises and has all these graphs and everything, but that wasn't coming from the leadership. That was coming from people that we hired. And if you have the thought in your head and you don't have the education, you could get somebody to put it into words that the members can understand and that management can understand. I hope you guys take a look at that because it was, it was such a feeling of pride when we went into those negotiations. First open negotiations. It was a open negotiation. The whole board goes there. Many union reps goes there. Even members could stand in the back. Do they still do that now? I doubt it. I don't know if they do. I, I don't know. We go to a hotel and. It was, it was for us. That would it be was beautiful. Packed. Oh, yeah. You can dress up actually. You on the forefront. presentation that me, goes on for an hour. Let me tell you something. Talk, we'll show it to you. It was a thing of beauty when we went into the hotel, Midtown Manhattan and management's on one side and the union's on the other side and Roger's walking down the aisle with all the offices behind us. We were all puffed up and we had this beautiful brochure that talked about the issues that face members. And it wasn't laid out in layman's term. It was very formal language that management could understand. But the thing that got us what we wanted was members ready to do what they had to do to make management see that. 
So you can have education and you can have uh, formal education, you can have college degrees, but if you don't have the members backing you up, you could put that in your pocket, it's not gonna do nothing for you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a smart leader, he's gonna surround himself with smart people that make him look even smarter, or she, it's time for a woman president in Local 100. Clap, 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 clap. You want, you want, you want the clap? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want the clap. <laughs> but you, you. So you ready to come out of retirement? Is what you're saying? No, no. I, I, I saw what happened with Lil, Lillian Robinson. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, you know, I really feel that you know the union. Again, I, I keep stressing finances and, and solvency and everything. And you know, if the union was solvent enough, right, we, you wouldn't have to worry about going into negotiation with the MTA. Like John said, if you have ten, if you have ten solid gains that you want to get out of the MTA, again, you want to, you want your, we want our, we personally, I want to see our union solvent enough to where you don't have to go in there and ask them for money to fund the childcare fund, money to fund the training fund, money to fund the um, tuition reimbursement program, and money to fund all these programs that if we were solvent enough, we could fund it ourselves. We don't want that. We want the MTA to pay for that stuff. Oh, sure. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, you know. But it, like, it, as, they, but they, it, they should fund everything. They should fund everything. I mean, that's just me personally now. Like I said, y'all, y'all jumping at me now. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a thing of beauty to have the MTA pay for the child care and, mm-hmm. and skills and upgrade. I mean, that was a major coup. I mean... I was in the women's committee, and um, one of the things that Agnes Wolford and I worked on was getting a domestic and workplace violence program up and running. Because it affects not just the victim, it affects the perpetrator, a guy who goes home and smacks his girl around, could end up, I mean, it happens, it's real, you know. Um, he it happens can, more than you think. He can get arrested, you know. Um, so it affects his job, it affects the victim's job. So we, um, we collaborated with uh, Cornell um, University um, uh, Industrial Labor College, and um, we, we also partnered with the domestic violence program, and we were gonna roll it out so that members could go through that, so they didn't have the excuse to say they didn't know what was inappropriate touching or language or whatever. And we couldn't afford that, but guess what? MTA was on board. You know, we worked very hard. We collaborated. It never came to fruition because this happened just prior to Samuelson saying bye-bye to me with the Women's Committee. Wherever you can get a chance for the MTA to pay for those kinds of programs is a major score. Oh, without a doubt, because especially the child care, how much of us work these crazy hours to provide the service and leave our families behind. Exactly. No no weekends. You know what I'm saying? They should pay even more than what it is. They we, we sacrifice a lot of our lives for the benefit of the service. Right, especially you those overtime jobs that you guys work. You you away from your family most of the time. Oh yeah, yeah. So that childcare and and whatever else that will help you day more days off will help you be with your family. You're not getting off on time. The the these these cheap rails breaking more than ever now. Right. I don't know what's going on with these reps. If if we were more solvent, I think you should spend the money on the members instead of having a tailgate in MCU Park. 
let's go back and have a real family day in a real park, right. you know. Um, great, we just go to Great Adventure every year. Let's get a real union hall. Yeah. Let's look get a real union like hall. Like DTF Radio looking better than uh, 195 Montague Street Monty right now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have a nice spot in there. I gotta, I gotta but also, you know, the, the education that the officers need and the members, that should come from the union paying paying for officers to be educated and passing that information on to the members. That's the kind of money that I like to see the union spend on the members and the officers. Well, it, it need a whole new overall because oh, yeah. Nick Bedell, he's very, he's very intelligent and educated, if you ask me. But the information, like we just took the shop steward class. How was it? I wasn't happy with it okay. because um, we supposed to be on the front line in shop stores. I am not qualified to help somebody out with a grievance right now because I didn't learn that. We had how many, whole we, how classes many, how many on weeks, grievances. Yeah, how many weeks of, of Well, I, I, when, Six. <laughs> let me tell you, when, when, when it was first told to me, when um, Nick Bedell said, oh, it's six weeks, but you only got to come for four, I said, Jamel, yeah, sure. this is bullshit. I said, four weeks? When he told me that, I planned my vacation. Right. I went to Puerto Rico for a week, and he, he he said he going to Chicago. I said that's fine. We both go miss class then. That's the same week that Steve Downs came in and taught the class at this place. <laughs> yeah, but oh but sell out Steve Downs. No sell out Steve Downs, huh? No I, I, I can't Steve, like I don't know I you, bro. I, <laughs> I just said your yeah. name. Well, <laughs> I know him. I could give you the background on, on Steve <laughs> no Downs. <laughs> I, I yeah, I haven't met Steve Downs, but um, you know the class is BS. How you how you. It's like you putting soldiers on the front line with no weapons. Yeah. What are we going to do? Well, they're, they're not prepared for battle. It's obvious by this time that this administration is not in any way, shape, or form ready to do any kind of battle for the members, you know, for they keep getting new members, the city bike mechanic. Oh, he's yeah. very happy about that. And pedicab. Pe pedicab, yeah. city bike, and I guess a bus tour company is next or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and this is why I say formal education is important to some extent. When when some guys was leaving, uh, when we, we want to call it graduated, when we got our certificate, they act like they had their PhDs in their hand. <laughs> and then... And then they was happy to get, uh, you know, the card, the little, the little uh, union card or whatever, send it to you through email. The business card. That doesn't prepare you for anything. You know what I'm saying? Because some guys have been out of school for so long, they forgot what school is right. and what you're supposed to learn. And this is something that formal education teaches you. That's why I'm like, I'm probably the only one in here in college right now. What the hell is this? Well, you'd be surprised at the number of members that we have that have college education. Oh no, I got the I got the stats, and it's not a lot. Yeah. It's not a lot. You got a few that don't have high school. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like six percent, twenty two percent did like some college, and so it's, it's, it's very it's they're very education broken. deprived, correct? Right. Yes. Okay. A lot of it, it's not on their own doing; it's just deprived of education. So it's part of the union job should be giving them access to that education. Well, how, how can the blind lead the blind? You got people in the union well, who, who don't know how important education right, is right. because they got through the union because of a popularity contest. Exactly. So you can't, how can they vouch for education when they have never done it themselves? Right. right. Ms. Clinton, um, something came out your mouth about, uh, a couple of minutes ago about <laughs> the... <laughs> how you put that? Something come out your mouth. <laughs> come on. <laughs> 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 about 
our discipline system yeah. being racist. Please want, touch on that. Yeah, please touch on that. Please. No, no, I, I disagreed because we're talking about MTA. I don't personally believe that the discipline system at this point is racist. I know when I first came in it was, um, but because before we came in, uh, Richard Ravitch, he was in charge. And then um, he left. Gunn and Kylie came and in. Kylie's yeah. And what they did was they brought in um, all their their friends with them from the outside. So once upon a time, uh, labor relations was the average worker who moved up into that position. So you can't really BS them. They know the job. They know the members. And I thought it was a good uh, way to handle labor relations. But when Gunn and Kylie came in, they changed the whole temperature and tune and everything. Um, and by this time, the membership was predominantly black. And they really were going after the members. I don't believe personally that management is going after black people or Latino in particular. I think that it's a means of keeping the labor relations department up and running because they make big money, those people. And I believe that it's a way to get rid of people who are peaking with their salaries. Okay, you're fired. You're gonna hire somebody who's making one third the money that they're making. So to me, and I could be wrong, they don't care what color you are. They're gonna go after you and if the union is laying down like they are now, they're gonna get as many bodies as they can. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to dis, um, disagree with that. Okay. For the simple fact that these people play on uh, percentages and ratio. So if you know most of the membership is a certain demographic, the odds of that demographic getting affected is high. Because MTA discipline is high, more higher than NYPD, fire department, and the sanitation. Well, that's the, part of that is what the union has allowed. Now, it's racist in that they're always going to go after the most vulnerable, which is the cleaners right. and the traffic checkers, mm. which happen to be Minority. black and right, Latino and, and women. And women, yeah. Right, but that, I don't believe it's because they're a certain ethnic group. I believe it's because they're most vulnerable, and they're doing it because they can. If you have a strong leadership that says, you're not going to F with any of my people, it's going to be put in check because we did put it in check. We had rallies at 130 Livingston, and Madison Avenue, 2 Broadway. We had thousands and thousands of people. At the Labor Relations House. Yes, and, and, and we let them know, and we called it out, plantation justice. Yeah, I heard they didn't like that. Yes, they didn't like that at all because it gave a black eye in the public. Yeah. Did you hear what happened at Stillwell as far as um, – Oh, the board? <coughs> yeah. Th that was completely racist. What board? They uh, put a board up. That mm -hmm. said, learn from others, and it had employees' incident reports. Mm. Oh my lord! That was so, crazy. So it said, learn from others. To me, that's like wow. um, public flogging. Yeah. Where you know what you act up, you go be on this board, yes. and you go get spanked. What the, to, to piggyback on what you just said about comparing our our union to our industry and MTA sanitation yeah. firemen, um, you could do the demographics, break it down to. Which departments in, in MTA are more or black and Hispanic, or, uh, and which departments are more more or less white or mm -hmm. or majority, mm -hmm. um, and where the write-ups are coming from? That I, I 
think that that is part of the racism of the MTA and the racism of, of, of the leadership of this union not, uh, not going after those departments with, with all those write-ups. Okay? And if, if your, your leadership is allowing that plantation, plantation justice to come back, then they're just as racist as as the MTA. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty I obvious. Ne- I ain't never deny that. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely. pretty obvious and, to and, the and average member. If y'all don't know, John Samino is a Caucasian man talking this. So don't just don't think that it's always black people up here talking crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And because I wanted you to touch on that, Miss Clinton, because yeah. I read, again, I... You know, we have the discipline manual in our possession. Okay. Okay. And have you seen it? No. Okay. Okay. And when I went through it, I didn't complete it yet, but when I, I went through most of it. But when I went through it, and I know what, and I know what's in our contract as far as discipline, I said to myself, "Wow, you know, this discipline, it polices people who basically have not, and basically people who they expect to mess up." Because one of the demands I said in the contract is I said, okay, with this discipline system, five to seven years for major violations, for major infractions. They can terminate you on the spot for, you know, on, on, on the spot for a major infraction. But if you get a but if you get off or whatever you want to call it, or if, excuse me, if it gets reduced, now you have five to seven years before some if another major violation happens. Now, you don't come to work within, you know, in the operational titles. You don't come to work with the intention of getting into something. Things happen because you're talking about a densely populated city of when everybody's asleep, eight million, eight million plus people. So when every so when everybody's here at work in Midtown of Manhattan, you're talking about probably approximately twelve to fifteen million people. So how do you expect to drive a bus down? I used to drive a bus down Fifth Avenue. How do you expect to drive a bus down these avenues or across town? And something stupid not happen in five to seven years, because every because while you're being taught safety and while you're being taught the proper thing, but everybody else around you is not taught the proper thing, and now it's getting even worse with uh all you know with all well, the distractions with Vision Zero and people on their cell phones and people riding bikes and not caring that you're coming and you know people walking out in the middle of the street. So you have everybody else around you is distracted, but you're the only one that's in line you know, who's disciplined in line to go up a certain way, but, and then, you know, they have all the rights there is. So that's what I mean where I say, not just shouting, you know, because like I said, some people, you know, deserve to get disciplined or whatever, of course, because everybody's not an angel. But when you have people who legitimately want to come to work and just get through their day, dumb stuff happens. So five to seven years, which is you're talking about more than a fifth of your career because you're talking about 25, 55, Again, so you're talking about more than the fifth of your career. Well, e- even according to the discipline manual, they, and I say management, they look at the workforce as being delinquents. Like if you go, if you don't show up for work for five days, AWOL. Auto, automatic fire. They're not thinking about, well, maybe they sick. We, we, got, we hire good people. Mm-hmm. If they don't come into work, maybe they sick. Maybe they died. Maybe something could, could, uh, catastrophic, some catastrophe happened. Right. But when know. it comes to management, and they out that amount of days, it's just a review. It's no automatic fire. Yep, so they look at us as, as, as delinquents. Yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? Why do, why do they look at us like that? Exactly. And see, that's the reason why I say that. Because, you know, reading, you know, the over, you know, overall, just like you said, delinquents. It's like this is what they think that they have, you know. 
you know, versus NYPD and, and, and corrections, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, um, even even these cops that you hear about on the news that do the craziest things, they're murder. Not, murder, they're not let go right away. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what I'm sorry. They're not let go right away. You know, they're put on desk duty, they're, you know, they're stripped of their gun or whatever, but they're still getting a paycheck. But if, when it comes to transit workers and a major violation, you're stripped right there at the step one hearing of your of your pass, and um and you're and and you're told to wait for you and you're suspended until you know during your hearing process. Yeah. Now, do y'all think I that would never give out my pass at a step a step one or step two hearing? That's for an arbitrator to take. Do y'all think that um, discipline is is out of control or unnecessary? I can't. Being a contract year, all the the, all that information is going to be available, the, the trends of in, in transit. Oh. And I don't know. I work in a corner on overhaul among uh, mechanics, older mechanics, and we don't get written up in there. So I'm in a little bubble. So I don't know what the road looks like. But you're going to see it among station uh, oh, station department. You're going to yeah. see it in RTO. RTO definitely. You're going to see it in buses. Yeah. That's where the write-ups uh, are, are going to be. Right. I, can't, I don't know what the trend is. Because I'd the, like to see it. The um, disciplinary procedure manual states how to present prevent unnecessary um, discipline. Because a lot of the discipline is supposed to be taken care of in the terminals before it even go down the two Broadway right. or anything like that, which is, I don't know why they do it, but I would definitely challenge it because first thing to do, superintendent call you, fill out a G2. I figure you fill out the G2, you send it to him, he looks at it. Next thing you know, you're getting a Dan to go down the two Broadway so they could take days from you or something. Um, some type of craziness like that. They're not even following their own policy, right? And 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 even in the new the new rule book, we could eject customers for spitting on the on the property. Good and, luck and with that. No, it says it in the but rule not, book, but not on on the operator. But right. I can't defend myself for getting spit on. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? So what's the sense in that? Oh, I could. You know what? You gotta get out the system. I'm gonna eject you. For whatever eject me. <laughs> I'm going to get you out the system, but if you spit on me, I got to act like a civilized human being after getting one of the worst things done to me on earth. Right. And I'm supposed to be calm. I'm controlled. I just got assaulted. What happened? I got spit on. All right, keep calm. Don't do anything. And you know what? Signal for police and route, which the police don't know these signals. <laughs> you be signaling from here to kingdom come. <laughs> As, Whenever they tell me signal for police and route, I have never got a police. <laughs> never. Yeah, that's ridiculous. What's that? A, a couple of beeps of the horn or, or, or <coughs> long, long short, short, long short, long short, long short. Help me, help me. <laughs> and I fix horns for a living. I don't know. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, that's what you do in a barn. Part, yeah, it's part of the air brake. Yeah, we, uh, part of the yeah. air brake is, is fixing the horns. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> that's right, Miss Clinton. You were an air brake maintainer, right? You said right. Yes. Well, that title doesn't really exist anymore. Now it's car inspector. Hey. Car inspector. Car inspector. With broadbanding from, thank you, Willie James, 1999 contract. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, Miss Clinton is from a, a different era. She ain't with that, like, them prissy jobs. <laughs> yeah. She's from, she's from, like, that's she, right. she, 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 really put it, she really put it down. I yeah. did dirty work, yeah. Dirty work, right. That's what I was going to say, dirty work. Yeah, right. yeah. When, when I put this picture up on um, SoundCloud, y'all go see how really beautiful she is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to see pictures because I really believe that you did your time in the office. Yeah. Like you said. This is what I want to talk about. Let's talk about it. But, that, but that's it. Oh, 
just one last thing. I, I, that's that's another contractual demand. Um, bring in people uh, in non-traditional, uh, uh, what, what do you call it, non-traditional jobs? Yeah. So so, uh, as a contractor, you say part of, part of the, you're demanding MTA hire women into skilled trades or uh, uh, apprenticeship programs to bring skilled trades. But we, we already have the apprentice program and the, and, right. And right, the, but the you union still gave it away. That'll be a demand that you, the members would have to make. Uh, hire, hire kids coming out of Transit Tech High School. They used I, to they, do that. Yeah, they I, did. We don't do have that. anybody. They used to do that. I, yeah. I, had, I had two friends. Yeah. I had two friends that got hired. Who came out I, grad, of high school. I graduated from Transit Tech 21 years ago. Oh, you did? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. Well, that's what I want. I want, I want to get statistics on how many people come from Transit Tech High School either became a mechanic or just even a transit worker. Okay? Because the hiring trends in, in transit are very, uh, the hiring trends in transit are, are very odd. Yeah. All right. We, we, got, we got about 10 minutes. Uh. So I want you to, to get into that. Okay. That piece of paper. Yes. Yes. This is the um, advertisement that when Samuelson was running, uh, he ran on. This is platform. New leadership team putting Local 100 back on track. And I think that sometimes the members need to be reminded of uh, the promises that he made and what happened. And one of the first things are, we are going to quickly begin addressing a multitude of other issues that affect you on the job. Here's a quick outline the battle against job and service cuts. I want to remind every member out there that under John Samuelson, we had the largest bus and train service cuts in the history of Local 100. We had the largest layoffs of members under John Samuelson. He talks about contract enforcement, um, that they're really going to enforce it, which is a total joke talks about officer and shop steward education, which you already said you felt was inadequate. Very, very, yeah. Building community partnerships. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. If it exists, it's uh, piss poor. New home for Local 100. No, new home for officers. That's what really happened, not a new home for Local 100. Tell him, sister. Tell him. <laughs> I mean, finances. We are committed to putting Local 100 back on sound financial ground. Yeah, okay. These guys. A $5 million loan a couple of years ago, not, and, and they're still in the red. These guys are such clowns and hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it. Yeah. Was it, was it five or six millions, John? They took six. The, the loan was six million. No, uh, the, in the contract was six million. The, the loan contract. was five. Oh, the loan was five. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Those new numbers. Right there. Was, wow. And and one thing about, uh, especially about the the, the the layoffs, historical. Those were the worst layoffs in 2010 and 11 that we've ever had. We're talking about mass layoffs. I'm not talking about 20 in this department, which had gone on in the past. But this is this is hundreds and not thousands of each, in, in each department. It was and a never test. Never before. It was a and people, test. And people go, I'm sorry. It was a test. Yes. And people go back, oh, no layoff clause. This union survived from 1934 to 1999 with, oh, no, 1996 without a no layoff clause, and there were hardly layoffs, hardly mass layoffs, okay? I'm glad 1934 you said that, John. to 1996. They got a bullshit uh, no layoff clause in 1996. No, um, 99. I, I'm not sure. I think it was 96. 99. And uh, it was it was it's a copy of of what um, DC thirty seven had, which was a Swiss cheese thing saying, and he, we we, <laughs> we said it's an emergency, we're going to lay your your asses off anyway. So it was a bullshit clause. Um, so for for three or four years we had it, and 
three years. And when we when 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 we we had lost it in two thousand and two to two thousand and ten, there was still no layoffs because because they were afraid of the leadership and they wouldn't they 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 threatened layoffs every contract from two thousand two two thousand five and they threatened layoffs all the time yet they didn't do it and we had no no layoff clause so how is that possible the no having that in writing. It's not what stops layoffs. Having 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 a strong leadership is what p stops layoffs. Okay, and they saw a weakness and they started laying people off by, by the by the thousands in 2010 and 11. Okay, so 1934 to 1999 or whatever it is, no no mass layoffs without a no layoff clause. Keep keep that in mind. I'm so glad you I'm so glad you addressed that, John, because again, that's one of the things that people still to this day and we fought on I fought on Facebook with people about talking about Roger, and yeah, oh, he gave up the no layoff clause. And I'm like, you freaking ding that. It, it, that. That's really not that serious, that clause, you know. Nope. Swiss cheese. It's the power of the um, membership and the leadership that stops a layoff. Um, I personally believe that the layoffs that the, the mass layoff that they had was a test of the leadership to see how strong, how militant that they were or were not. And they got their answer. So they're steamrolling over the members and this local test, because test. Samuelson failed the test. He allowed the um, layoffs with no fight back whatsoever. And then they brought these people back. Like, what was that? And then to add insult to injury, had the bogus solidarity fund that was totally unnecessary. Uh, and in 2013, uh, uh, we had first transit. Okay, the, the, the dispatches for the excessive ride. It, they laid 671, 678 members off all in one day. We had built that up from 2001 till that to, 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 as, as a strong union hold. It was on uh, uh, a couple of floors out on Northern Boulevard. It was um, usually 700, 700 dispatches, mostly women, mostly people of color, okay? Immigrants. M huge amount of women. I would, I would say that was probably 70% women, okay? And this, this, this administration tells us about women. They allowed, the, it was a division of our union. They allowed the division that was 70% women to be all laid off in one day without a breath, without ever hearing about it, with no, doing nothing. They threatened all through the Tucson administration to, to, to get rid of the excessive ride, first transit, and or move them upstate. They never did, and we ne never allowed them. The first thing they did, besides those layoffs in 2010 and 11, was first transit, uh, predominantly uh, 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 women of color, got rid of them all, all in one day, and this union did nothing about it, wow. absolutely. It's to this day. And then they, they hired non-union people, they changed the name of the company, hired non-union people with the, some of the same bosses, Okay, mm -hmm. non-union, 700 non-union people, okay? and this, that, all their salaries were cut in half, and then our union organized them again three years later, and saying, oh, uh, uh, we, we gotta fight for better wages. You're the, you're the, you're the guys who let them go non-union for three years, cut all their salaries in half, and now you're starting where you were uh, 20 years ago. It's, it's, that example is like so so typical of this administration. Um, and then you know one last thing they you know when they did lay off all those members, they were it's two things right you know they were willing to put in place dollar vans to replace the jobs of all those of, of all those bus drivers okay who were laid yep. off. Yep. And then an, and then an, and then another the thing is the competition exactly. <laughs> 
And then another thing is with um, they they left the OA workers out in the cold, drivers out in the cold, and they were hiring brand new TA people before they brought back the laid off OA people. Okay, so then now they you know so now you know then they went to court saying well the bus consolidation was illegal, you know so I don't know what happened in court behind that or whatever, but basically. Um, Obviously you know, nothing. All right, well, Obviously nothing. No, uh, we got we got to we got to wrap it up. But we they got all got stand together uh, t-shirts, didn't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, stand together while we're losing this many thousands over here. This many hundreds. Stand together. Stand stand stand, stand as one. Now we got sixty seconds, Miss Clan. I want you to leave the people with something. We got we got to have you back because we feel like we were shortchanged. I like I like y'all as a tandem. So we, we probably got to do this again or do y'all separate. Going to more history. Yeah. You want to do yeah. more history? Uh-huh. All right, so what would you like to lead the people with? Uh, this um, is this is your part one, by the way. We're going to bring you back from part two. I'll be two. glad oh, yeah. to come back. <laughs> part two. <laughs> part two. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'll be glad to come back. Um, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me. Um, I just want uh, members out there to know that they have the ability to affect change, just like with the presidential election, that craziness that's happening out there. Same thing that's happening in the union. Um, I personally believe that this is one of the worst administrations in my 29 years working for the Transit Authority, which is really sad for me to say, having been part of a dissident group that made uh, effective change. But the members need to be active, they need to be involved, they need to educate themselves, they need to tune in to progressive action, they need to go to their meetings and um, just take the next step. Okay, now, real quick for everybody, if you didn't catch the live broadcast tonight, we're still we're going to put it on SoundCloud, but also we want to let everybody know that this show is going to be televised on the BCAT television, cable television network, BCAT, Channel 69. That's for people who have cable vision and people who have Time Warner. In channels Brooklyn. In, in Brooklyn. Channel, six, channel 69, the third Saturday of this month, at 6.30 p.m. Remember, 6.30 p.m. So set your DVR and, and make sure you watch it, okay, if you missed it tonight. All right, that, that's the show for today. My co-host, Jamel Wilson, got, had John Semino, a surprise impromptu guest, and we had the beautiful <laughs> Miss Anita Clinton. She will be back for part two. <laughs> that was Progressive Action, people. Thanks for tuning in. Good night. Thank you. Wow, that was...